Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, we share messages of leadership development, mindset, personal growth, human performance, fear, ego, how to deal with those human attributes, those things that affect us on a daily basis. We go find those messages from executive leaders, C-suite leaders, high performers. We bring you those messages so that we can all learn together. These are actual real human beings that you can connect with and make a mentor out of. So we're excited to have you on board. Please remember to subscribe wherever you happen to be listening so you don't miss any of these great messages. Come find me on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're also now on YouTube. Our motto is to continue getting 1% better one day at a time. We're onboarding sponsors. We're leveling up our production quality. We're building out that YouTube page and we're excited to have you on board. Please remember to come find us, subscribe, make sure you hit the notifications. Don't miss out on any of the messages. Things are changing and we want you on board. Today's episode is with Brigadier General Shane Reeves, the 15th Dean of Academics at the United States Military Academy, West Point. We had an awesome time spending the day on the campus of the United States Military Academy, both with Brigadier General Reeves and Major San Juan, just seeing all of the history that was there on that campus. In our conversation, Brigadier General Reeves, in a funny, charismatic way, just shares about all of the lessons he's learned from the United States military, the influence of his grandfather on his military career, and the admiration he has for the the growth and the leadership skills that he's been able to build over the years from the military that we can apply to a civilian life. He reminds us that humans are humans and that if we're not willing to step up, then who will? Rank and position may not always mean talent, that access to information doesn't necessarily mean wisdom. Wisdom comes from experience, but it's also important to not bias ourselves with our experience, incorporate the ideas of people that have less experience than us so that we can learn from them. How do we evaluate situations in a dispassionate, evidence-based way? Red cell everything, and he explains exactly what he means by red cell. And one of the things that I thought really fascinating about Brigadier General Reeves is that he could have practiced law anywhere. He chose to continue to do it in the United States military, especially in such a niche area of starting a war, stopping a war, or determining whether or not something is legal during a war. So no greater stakes. We just have a fantastic, fun, easy-flowing conversation. And one of the things that stuck out to me is that he used the phrase intellectual coddle, that we won't be able to outthink our future problems if we intellectually coddle ourselves. We need intellectual adversity in a civil way to help us continue to grow. I'm so grateful that they allowed us to spend some time on the campus with them, and I'm grateful that I get to share it with you. And before we get started, here's a quick note from our sponsor that helps to make this show possible. Today's episode is sponsored by PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. For more than 85 years, PenFed Credit Union has offered great rates on loans, checking, and savings, serving our military and local communities. PenFed is open to everyone. Helping their members save is how they grow. Go to PenFed.org to see how you can save more with their best-in-class rates, products, and services. PenFed. They've got great rates for everyone. 
This episode is sponsored by Leashes of Valor. One leash saves two lives. Leashes of Valor is working hard to bring service dogs and post 9-11 veterans together in order to enrich both lives. They're a nonprofit founded by veterans right here in Northern Virginia. Check out their website, leashesofvalor.org. There you'll find warrior stories, opportunities to donate. You can shop their merchandise, which all goes to supporting their cause. We're excited to have their support and to support them in everything that they do. Check out leashesofvalor.org. Can I call you Shane? You call me, yeah, absolutely. So Shane Reeves, yeah. your Brigadier General yeah. here at West Point. That's correct. Yeah, I'm so glad you're doing this. Yeah, I'm excited to be part of it. This was uh, this was set up by a friend of ours, and I was like, this sounds like a, a really cool experience. So yeah. I'm glad to be able to be here with you. Yeah, James Skank. Yeah. James Skank, CEO of Pentagon Federal Credit Union, one of the most shared episodes on the podcast, actually, from last year. So I don't know him as the CEO of PenFed. I knew him as a major when he was here at West Point. Yeah? Yeah, he was the... Uh, he was actually the, the dean at the Times XO, and his wife, Lisa Skank, was my professor in military and constitutional law, and I got to know them through that capacity. She was my teacher, then also I went over to their house a few times for meals, and then when I decided to apply to go to law school, uh, James was instrumental in helping me get a letter of recommendation. Like, he really was incredibly selfless and helpful to a, to a guy that uh, he didn't need to help, and so I always appreciated yeah. that. You know, I have the same relationship with him, actually. We met last year just in a common place for no particular reason right and yeah. we just started to talk and we really clicked and he's invited me to some functions and he's just someone i look up to and i think um you know when i need advice i reach out to him no he's a good one to do that with yeah. uh and his wife lisa has been someone i have uh been in contact with throughout my entire professional career from when i was a cadet we really enjoyed each other in class she was a major and, and again i was uh as a first year which was a senior here at west point and um, she made us all go around and give nicknames to ourselves. And I said, my nickname's Sundance. And she's like, come on. I'm like, no, I don't know. I just made that up. So she <laughs> called me Sundance. It still does to this day, which I truly made that up at that moment. Yeah. There's, no one's ever called me Sundance since or before that. Well, nicknames aren't supposed to be something you give yourself. That's I know, funny. but she made us go around and give nicknames. Yeah. So she's like, give me a nickname. I'm like, I'm Sundance Reeves. And she's like, that's a terrible nickname. That's sticking with you. I'm like, thanks. Yeah. No, son, <laughs> like nicknames can be hit or miss. I, um, I work out with a group called F3. So it's fitness, fellowship, and faith. Okay. And a lot of them are former military. A lot of them are army and yeah. West Point grads. And so one guy, he drives a uh, minivan with tinted windows. So his that's, nickname wait, is... First off, that's ridiculous. You can't drive a minivan I, he tried with to, tinted windows. He tried to make it cool. <laughs> so he drives a, a minivan. Did he jack up the back? No. Does he got flames painted on the side? No, no. But his nickname ended up being hostage. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's hit or miss with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, mine's is pep talk, but yours is pe- your nickname is. Yeah. By the way, I don't have a nickname. Only with Lisa Skank is it Sundance. That's okay. It. Sundance. Well, I'm going to call you Sundance for the rest of the. Yeah. Uh, thanks. I appreciate. Since it. nobody else is. You know, we were talking before we started, and you spent. Were you born in Virginia? Because I'm yeah. from Virginia. I was born in uh, McLean. Yeah, but uh, you grew up in Wyoming. I did. So when I was two, my family moved to Rock Springs, Wyoming. Uh, so my mom and my dad. My dad was a military brat. And so my grandfather retired from the uh, military in 1965 and was at the Pentagon when he did. My mom's uh, dad and uh, mom, they eventually got divorced, but he worked for a RAND corporation. And so my mom and my dad met in high school and then they got married. uh, And my dad went to to want to actually Salt Lake to for a job and ended up in Rock Springs, Wyoming, which nobody knows where Rock Springs, Wyoming is. It's It's in the southwest corner of Wyoming. And um, and so then my mom moved out there and uh, she tells a great story that when she moved there in 
um, June of uh, 1976. So I was, I was two. Uh, it was snowing and she started crying. She's like, this is terrible. And I said, mom, how long did it take for Wyoming to grow on you? She's like about a decade, maybe a decade and a half. But now she loves, she'll never leave Wyoming. She's still there now? Yeah. Yeah. She lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. How often do you get back there? I though? go there pretty, uh, not as often as I'd like, but I go about, uh, I try to go at least once a year, but I like to go back to Wyoming. Wyoming's got a very different feel than almost anywhere else in the, in the country. It's got a, uh, it's very sparse. There's not a lot of people. It's still got a, a ruggedness to it. Yeah. And uh, more than any other thing uh, in the world, people value privacy, which I really, yeah. really like. Yeah. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have my older sister lives in Cheyenne. Uh, and then my younger brother, uh, who's a West Point graduate, graduated in 2003, and he got hurt in Iraq. Okay. Uh, and he's fine. He, he got, um, he was injured pretty bad, but then he has, uh, he got out of the army due to the injuries. And now he works for General Electric in Schenectady, New York. Yeah. So you come from a military family. Uh-huh. You said your dad uh, was in the military. No, my dad, my grandfather, my dad Grand- was not in the military. No, no, my dad actually, interestingly, uh, so my great grandfather came to West Point, graduated in 1892. Then I had three great uncles that came to West Point, two of them in the 20s, one in 1937, then my grandfather in 1939. And then my dad, uh, a lot of expectations were for him to come to West Point and go into the army, and he went a different path. He joined a band and moved to Hawaii. And, really? uh, yeah. and then he uh, and then eventually he did a number of things and he uh, ended up being the general manager of a radio station in Wyoming. What was the name of the band? I don't know the name of his no. band, actually. I have no idea. Does he still like to jam? No, my dad's that? passed away okay. and he couldn't play an instrument. I'm like, that's really, really? a bad career wow. choice, dad. He was like, I was going to be the singer. I'm like, you have a terrible voice, just so you know. <laughs> so and then were, did you feel any kind of pressure growing up? No. That you had to be in. No, I didn't. I just admired my grandfather. My uh so my grandfather, again, um, class 1939, and then my grandmother was a, was, um, a military brat also. Her, her dad was uh, an army doctor. And so I would just, I just loved visiting them. And they lived in Tucson, Arizona at the time, and I'd go visit, and I would just, I just was, um, I just loved the stories about yeah. his career and all the exotic places they lived. They lived in Japan, they lived in Naples, Italy, they, they worked, he worked for NATO, uh, I, I won't deny that his war stories, which he didn't tell a lot of, but, you know, he was he was uh, at the Battle of the Bulge and he was on D-Day and uh, he was in the liberation of, of many of the concentration camps. Uh, and then uh, after the European theater, he only went home for 90 days and moved to the, the Pacific. Uh, and then just him and his brothers, all of them had fought in World War II and just being around them. Uh, and then just hearing uh, some of the role, it just seemed like romantic to me, the the, the places that they got to move and live. And then they had, you know, they had, which a lot of military families do, they have what I would call relics of places they had been and seen. And I just always was, was uh, really taken by that and thought yeah. this would be a really neat life. And then, of course, I, my grandfather, more than anything, had certain virtues that I admired. I mean, he was an incredibly selfless man, uh, very, very humble and uh, and more importantly, just um, you could just a kind man, just very, very kind. And so those things. And I would ask him, where, you know, you know, why, you know, like, where, like, tell me some of your life experiences. What did you do? And he just would constantly talk about the people he had to be, the opportunities uh, to be around certain people in the military, the chance to lead people, and all of those things just, uh, just resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of why, you know, why I wanted to talk to you yeah. about your experience. Did you find those things when you came to the United States military? Yeah, I did. So, uh, you know, when I came to West Point, almost. Um, exclusively because of the influence of my grandfather. And my parents were very supportive. 
what if you wanted to go to the Navy or something? Though? I, I can't even think about that. No? Be, that, I mean, that's... I mean, they got be, boats. I mean, it's I, fun there at the beach. Yeah, it's... No, that's just when it happened for me. Yeah, <laughs> Air Force, nothing like you kind no, of... No, I was coming to West Point. Okay. I was coming to West Point. Or uh, I was... Uh, no, this is foolish. I only applied to one college, which is West Point. Well, you hear people say this all the time. That was actually me, but it wasn't like I was a for sure thing getting into West Point. I didn't find out till April. I have no idea what my plan was if I didn't get in. I, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, what if you didn't get in? <laughs> no, I don't know. It wasn't a guarantee. I guess I was hanging out in Rock Springs, Wyoming for a while. Yeah. It's actually, I mean, this this university is a very competitive. Yeah, it's, it's uh, consistently ranked in... Uh, you know, it's right now ranked as the second uh, best public liberal arts college in the country. Uh, we compete uh, at the highest levels with with a lot of peer institutions. And we see our peers really as the the top tier, uh, either the Ivy Leagues or, or a lot of the top tier private and public institutions in the country. Uh, and there's a lot of data to support that. I mean, just this year, we had four Rhodes Scholars, uh, which ties us with Harvard for first in the country. Just from a from a data perspective, we are very very competitive. But more importantly, it's what I what I really appreciate about West Point is I think, and of course I'm biased, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. Uh, that is the best holistic education that a, a young person can get because they don't just they don't just get uh, the broad liberal arts education that's provided at the academy. They also learn how to do certain life skills. They learn how to deal with peers and lead peers. They learn uh, how to deal with adversity through through being physically challenged. They get developed both the uh, ethically and morally and uh, and nothing underlying all of it is the emphasis on on developing someone's character and when you put all that together i think that when you drop a west pointer into his, into a group of people they rise um they rise to the top and a lot of that's because there is a we are unabashedly uh emphasize things like winning matters and it's it's okay to compete but compete in a positive way compete in such a way that you're not you're not it's not a finite pool or a finite pie of of you, you win and that person loses, you can be happy for someone else to win, but you should be able to push yourself yeah. at the same time. It's not a zero-sum game. It is not a zero-sum yeah. game. And, and that's, that is the secret of the U.S. Army, in my opinion. It's one of the things that has attracted me to the Army my entire life is that uh, the, it's, it's very counterculture in this regard. It is not about self-promotion. It's not about, it's not about uh, looking out for yourself. In fact, the culture in the United States Army is you don't talk about yourself. You, you let others talk about you. But if you talk about yourself, it's probably going to result in you not doing well in the Army. The Army is very much about humble, selfless service. Uh, and you do whatever the nation needs. And that might mean you don't go to a place that you want. You might not get the, the, you might not get the assignment, the branch, whatever. It doesn't matter. All that matters is you're serving those beside you. You're serving the Army, the nation. Yeah, you know, I've interviewed a few special operations and they, they call themselves the quiet professionals yeah. and, and uh, they, that's just kind of their motto. They don't talk about, uh, they don't talk about themselves. They don't talk about the skills they have. And, and even when they, when they exit the transitioning um, folks seem to have some trouble because they have this idea that they need to go get the next certification or go get yeah. some sort of external thing to prove that they're good enough to get some of the positions that are available. But a lot of what you just talked about is those innate leadership skills that are built in each individual here yeah. based on just their experience being here. What are some of those, like, let's talk about that. What are some of those things that you think that you learned being here at West Point that you may not have ever otherwise been exposed to or that you just look back and you're just grateful for? I, first thing that comes to mind is there's always someone better than you at something. Uh, so again, coming from a small town in Wyoming, and I loved my experience growing up. 
uh, I'm a talker. I get, yeah. I get to know people. And, um, and so in, in Wyoming, I felt like I knew everybody and I, and I had been successful in high school. And so there's a bit of the, the big fish, small pond, you get to West Point, And my first roommate was, uh, who's still one of my very best friends in the world. Uh, his name is Mike Beckwith. He's currently an assistant U S attorney in Sacramento, but I roomed with Mike and Mike grew up in Northern Virginia and went to Langley high school and he was good at everything. He was, he was, he was well beyond me academically. He could go over and do 20 pull-ups. He could go ski. One of the, you know, uh, he could go ski Colbert coolers, shoot at Jackson hole without problem, which is a top 20 shoot. He took up diving his senior year just because he thought it'd be fun and, and he does well. I mean, and I was just like, this is awesome. I like having these people around me. And that's one of the things you learn at West Point very quickly is that there's someone better than you at something and everything. And so that I learned that very quickly, which is it's build the team versus focus on self. Yeah. Did you, but did that make you feel vulnerable in any kind of way? Like maybe I'm not good enough or they're better than me somehow? Or I never felt that way. No, honestly, it's just not, but that's just, I, I never, I just, I mean, to be honest, no, I, I just would look at them and be like, I'm not going to run as fast as you. Right. So it's just, and I was okay with that. Did you, did you play team sports and stuff growing up? Too? Yeah, I grew, I played uh, football and baseball uh, all the way through uh, my senior year of high school. Yeah. So I think, you know, what I found is the more I talk to people when they do some sort of, and it doesn't have to be sports. Sometimes it's playing an instrument, but when they, they have some sort of discipline from an early age, it kind of helps them. It kind of helps us right size our ego a little bit. It's not necessarily that we're bad or that we're not good. It's just that person may have been doing it longer than we have. They may be practicing more than we have. They may have some sort of innate ability, Yeah. but that doesn't, again, it's not a zero sum game that doesn't take away the opportunity for me to do well at something. Yeah. I've never felt that way. You know, the army's a big organization. It's got, yeah. you know, it ebbs and flows, but roughly between, I think currently roughly 500,000 people in it. And the talent in the organization is immense. I mean, it's one of the beautiful parts about being at West Point is the amount of talent that is around it makes it, it you know the only thing you, you just got to make sure you don't screw it up like yeah. you take someone really talented and you say here's your left and right limits and go and they they amaze you they just do amazing things and so i would much rather be part of an organization where i have that type of talent than than uh, an organization where it's it's all about a person or 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 something like that yeah but you know when you're developing as a leader you're not going to be good at stuff along the way or, or I, right away. I was terrible at lots of things. Yeah. Like, like uh, trust me. But so, so like for me, right. I have this internal voice. He sounds exactly like me. Yeah. He's it's, it's, he speaks, <laughs> you know, and he's talking to me and he's not always nice. He's like, you know, you, you know, you look fat in those pants. <laughs> I don't know why you wore that shirt. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you're kind of dumb. Like last time, don't you remember that? Cause I remember all the things that I've yeah. done, done poorly. And if I'm not careful, I can run away with that voice. And that voice can, you know, the way we speak to our our kids ends up being their internal voice. The way we speak to ourselves. What I didn't realize was that, so I started to do these affirmations, these I am statements, these positive things that I would say to myself, making eye contact in the mirror on purpose. (laughs) And I was building those synapses. And I... I was suggested to do that by some people that I trusted and, and it helped, right? It helped, it helped change that internal narrative. What I didn't realize is that I was actually giving myself negative affirmations all the time. Oh, that's interesting. Like you're an idiot. You yeah. fat piece of whatever. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. Did you ever experience that? Or does the army kind of help you understand look, you're a human being. You're going to have that. Here's how you overcome that. Or what do you do? You know, uh, about that. I have been extremely fortunate my entire time in the military to have uh, leaders that have been very concerned with my development, 
that will tell me things in a, in a certain way that is a criticism, but it, it's not, it's not overly critical. And, uh, and so I've had, and again, I've been, I just think I've been very fortunate because every leader I've ever had is like, Hey, Shane, you're doing great. This, 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 and this, you need to work on this. And I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. And, and as long as there was an explanation behind why I need to work on something, then I'm fine with it. Uh, I have never had the, uh, it's, I mean, it might be a, it might be a flaw. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not real introspective in that way where I sit there and think like, I need to do this. I need that. I just sit there and be like, that didn't work. Time to move on. Well, right, I got to, I got to move on to this thing. I'll trade it out any day. <laughs> I spend way too, I mean, like if I, it's could, actually, a, I think that's a nice trait of yours. Like overthinking? You, yeah, no, no, it's not overthinking that you're willing to, to recognize uh, a weakness. And I don't know if I, I mean, I have, I have many, many weaknesses. As a matter of fact, I have so many, I think that it might be too hard to try to capture all of them. So well, what do you do about that? Like, do you, I mean, is, is, so a lot of people have different opinions. They focus on their strengths and they find people to fill their gaps. I, I don't know. I, well, like, yes, do there's two thoughts on that. One is learn this at West Point. My team leader one time told me when I was admiring someone's greatness, he was like, listen, dude, Everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. No one's really as great as you think they are. That really resonated with me. Yeah. Everybody has got their flaws and their, their, you know, their virtues and their, and their, and their flaws. And so humans are humans. And I just have come to the conclusion that if, uh, if I'm not willing to step into the breach and lead, uh, then who will? Because nobody's really that prepared. Right. Nobody actually is, is, is prepared as they, even if they fake it, yeah. they're, they, there's many things where they're like in the back of their mind, they're like, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how I compliment, I do have a, I do have a very expansive mentorship. Um, how many mentors do you have? I, I couldn't even put a number on it. I just have, I'm, cause I'm a talker. And so I, uh, uh, I oftentimes will call many people to ask them uh, their opinions on a particular thing. And I'll get various, various opinions from people I consider wise. And it, it might be someone in the military could be my mom. Uh, my obviously my wife is my my closest confidant. Um, my brother. I mean, I just have a I have a huge spectrum of people, and I and I do think the one thing I did I did have a um, a, sh- a short stint, just a little over a year in uh, at Joint Special Operations Command. I learned so many things there, but one of the things that why I I loved it there, and I think I was successful in that job, is because it it was uh, it matched how I view the world already, which is I don't think rank or position equates to talent. I think you can have a captain uh, and you can have a colonel and the captain might have a better idea mm-hmm. the, or the captain might have a better instinct on a certain thing. And now I don't downplay experience. I do think that, uh, especially in our contemporary society, it's oftentimes confused. Access to information means I have experience. I, I can Google an answer, uh-huh. but that doesn't mean this happens with cadets. Uh, cadets oftentimes will be like, well, Sir, you know, in a, if you're in combat, this is how you would have to advise a commander on this target. You'd be like, have you been there? No, then right. it's a little bit different than you think. But so I don't can, I think it's very important not to confuse access to information with wisdom and wisdom comes typically through experience, but that also doesn't mean we should not listen to someone who's immensely talented, who happens to be 25 years old or, or whatever. Yeah. Have you always been that way to ask for help and to, to yeah. look for the answer? I have. Yeah. I had to get taught that if they have what you want, do what they do. Yeah. Right. And to ask for the help, people will give you advice. Um, and, you know, I have mentors that they don't even know they're my mentor. They're just people that I call. <laughs> yeah. Is that how your relationships yeah, are? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not sure if they know they're I'm the, the, yeah. I'm the mentee and they're the mentor. But I do. I just call them out of the blue and I'll be like, what do you think of this? Or yeah. how, how do you you know, uh, what, what's what's your thoughts on this particular issue? Uh, and most times it's because I had uh, some sort of positive interaction with them in, in some 
some situation. I'm like, ah, they're pretty smart. I'd yeah. like to hear what they say. Or they felt like in some way they had what you wanted, right? Like, I think though there's, there is a skill I've had to learn uh, because one of the things that definitely drives me and I hadn't really thought about it till uh, I was thinking about this yesterday is I do not like disappointing people. Right. Which maybe that's because I'm a middle child. I don't know. So you do have to learn as I've grown and I've matured, I've learned to say, listen to listen to advice from lots of different mentors, but it doesn't mean I'm going to take it. Yeah. I just like to hear all sides of an argument and then, and, but being able to say, all right, thanks. I'm not going to do that. Like being able to say no to a mentor or to a group of people, especially if someone's got a really passionate uh, view on a topic and be able to be like, no, I don't think so. But staying objective and then present evidence to explain why you're taking a different path. And I have found that his, with my mentors in particular, they're fine with that. They're like, yeah, this is just my thought on it. You're going to do what you want to do. Yeah. But that was actually hard as a young person. It's, it's hard to say no to someone who you really look up to and they go, you need to do this. And you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's the right answer. Yeah. And, and are all of your people that you look to for advice, are they all within the military? Or do you have like outside of the military? No, I have outside of the military. Yeah, that yeah. diversity of thought. Just yeah, like, who knows, right? I do. I have a, um, it's one of the great, it's one of the great benefits of being at West Point. You have your foot both in the, in the military. And so as a, as an officer, there's a lot of practitioners and operators that I know, but I also have a foot in academia. So I know a lot of, I know a lot of college professors and I'm a lawyer by well, my background. So I know a lot of, a lot of lawyers and lawyers are, are very, very good at arguing. So whatever I say, they're going to give me the counter argument, right. which is very helpful. I like that. Yeah. How much of that, like your mindset and your methodology, do you attribute to actually being an attorney? A lot. I think yeah. it's, I think it's an immense amount. I think that, uh, that coupled with experience, uh, of advising commanders at multiple levels, uh, has taught me to try to be dispassionate and objective when coming to making a decision, which isn't always the case. Secretly in my head, I have, I have, you know, I have strong views on something, but, and tr- but I really, really value hearing all of the potential yeah. options. And I don't want to ever preclude someone from saying, well, have you thought about this? And so a lot of times, you know, you'll, as a lawyer, what you're trying to do is you have to be able to argue the other side so that you can counteract that argument. So I like to, you're really, you know, when you advocate, you think about what the person that's going to advocate against you is going to say, and then you can preempt their arguments with your own. And so I think being a lawyer, and I think law school taught me to, to think a certain way, which is to think like a contrarian, read, you know, basically red cell a lot of things that I'm trying to do, think through all of the, the secondary and tertiary effects of what's going to happen, and then come up with a dispassionate evidence-based approach to problem solving. What's red cell? Red cell is like you take, you say, everybody is like, this is the right idea. You know, you have a, you have a bunch of, you have, everyone's like, this is it. And then you go, where's the person who says this isn't the good idea? And then you, and so the red cell is oftentimes in the military in different uh, formations, they'll have just a, a small group, then that can be called red cell, it can be called something else. And their job, there was one exclusive job is to argue against the consensus course of action. Yeah, just to have an, a different opinion. Just to be like, no, you're not thinking about this, 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 and this. Right. And we do that. Now that was learned as a, I found the value of that as a young officer, because we would, we would do a lot of war gaming. Right. And so when I was an armor officer and I was at Fort Irwin, California, I had the great opportunity to work for General McMaster, who was a major at the time, and I knew him from West Point, and he was really good at this. We'd war game, and then he would get some smart people on the other side of the table, and they would be like, well, and they would they would counteract. And so you yeah. would think through all the permutations before you went into the field and actually did something. Yeah, get us out of that tunnel vision. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's 
just for any normal person who isn't like doing a war game or something, like if we're only thinking about something through our lens with our own perception based on our own experience, well, that's kind of a selfish approach. And there may be something just slightly different from that that we're not seeing, right? It has to be this way. Yeah, and that's the value of the of the academic program at West Point because uh, West Point has, every cadet will take 40 courses, but 24 of those are called the core course. And it's a crown jewel of West Point. It is, it is 24 courses that range between science, technology, engineering, math, but also the humanities. And it gives them this broad perspective on a lot of different disciplines so that they have this intellectual foundation so they can hopefully not have a tunnel vision when they're, when they're uh, confronted with a, with a particular problem. And it is, uh, it's one of the things, I think, that separates the U.S. military's officers from all other officers in the world is that we expect our officers to be able to function in a military hierarchy, yet be able to, to think critically and be sophisticated in their thinking, to think outside the box, to think of, yeah. of creatively, you know, be a bit innovative and entrepreneurial in how they approach problem solving. And that comes really through having uh, a really rigorous academic program, which it's, it's critical. And this is the other thing I think as being a lawyer, I'm very comfortable with is I do, uh, there is no idea we don't talk about. There's no topic that we won't talk about because I trust the cadets and the cadets are, trust me, they're, they're critical enough to be like, that's a stupid idea. Well, why is it stupid? And then you know, we go back and forth. Uh, but it's important that we don't intellectually coddle cadets so that when they do get put into this, into their golden moment, when they get put into that situation and it's their, and they're leading soldiers in combat, that they have the ability to outthink whatever their, whatever the problem is in front of them. Yeah. Yeah, we grow through adversity, both physically, mentally, spiritually. Like, I mean, like yes. that's just you're giving them an academic reason to grow through adversity yeah. too. They have to prove their point. They have to to fight for what they think is right and be willing to accept that it, they could be wrong. And here's the secret: the thing is, though, is that in doing that, I we expect the the cadets and we expect officers in the army to be able to do this. They should be able to power through that adversity, uh, and intellectually, it often means someone is counteracting an idea you have. Uh, but we expect them to do it in a civil and a professional way because uh, we can have different we can have different uh, views on a topic. We can have different beliefs, but it doesn't mean that we we, we aren't going to work together as a team. It doesn't yeah. mean you're evil because you're you and I have man. different views right, on something. Right. And uh, and so for the young officer, they have to understand they're going to be leading uh, groups of young men and women who are come from all over the world, from all types of different backgrounds, socioeconomic, racial, gender, sexual orientation, whatever it might be. And they're going to have to be able to build that team so that they can fight as one cohesive unit. And so to do that, they have to be able to, to accept varying views. That doesn't mean they have to believe them, but they have to be able to uh, you know, be respectful enough to understand what those views are and then, and then uh, not take it too serious if someone disagrees with you. Yeah, you used the word dispassionate mm -hmm. a little while ago, um, and I really like that. I think it's taking the passion out of what you uh, what you're talking about, right? It's easier said than done, right? Yeah. Like especially if you get into a, and especially well, if, we're humans. Yeah, and yeah. you know when someone challenges our idea, it's easy to feel like they're challenging us as a person. Yes, because I believe this. Just because I happen to believe it doesn't make it right or true. It's true. You it's know, true. I thought I was the world's biggest, like worst person in the world at times. Right? <laughs> That's not true. I haven't even committed any murders. <laughs> <laughs> I tell cadets this. I say, uh, listen, don't ever start a sentence with "I think," and I go, "Who cares? I don't yeah. care. No one cares about how you feel. You need yeah. to you need to start the sentence with." So, you know, my esteemed colleague, you know, in some sort of respectful way, and say, "Here is actually what I here is actually a better approach, and here's why." Like, lay out the evidence. If you can't lay out the evidence, and your your subjective opinion. Uh, or if your feelings get hurt, I'm sorry. That's not the way the world works. It doesn't really, yeah. it doesn't really matter. 
Yeah. And you develop that cal- and then you're able to actually function without, um, you know, I think people are becoming a little bit maybe too sensitive. I don't know if that's a, an accurate statement or not, but, um, you know what I, so you could have practiced law anywhere. Mm-hmm. Why'd you stay here? I, I might flip it. And I'm like, I can't imagine practicing law anywhere else. Uh, I think it's what internally motivates us. What are like the internal and external factors that drive a person? So for me, uh, I came in the army as an armor officer, which I loved. Uh, and when I was a cadet, I had no idea what I was going to do. So an armor officer is, uh, basically we deal with tanks. And when I was a cadet, my best, my friend, Mike Beckwith's dad took me to lunch one day at the fair and we're sitting there and, uh, he's like, Shane, what are you going to branch? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean? Oh, no, you came in the army. You got to figure out a branch. I'm like, I haven't really thought about it. And he's like, this is terrible. You need How to think about you? it. I was probably 20. And he's like, okay. And he was a retired armor officer. And he was like, you need to go into the armor branch. I'm like, why? He goes, because they don't take themselves too seriously, but they like to, they like to fight and win, but they're a little bit more cavalier. They, they, they like to read history. And I'm like, that sounds pretty awesome. So I went to the armor branch and I, I loved it. Um, but as a, a armor officer, um, I learned all these different skills, but I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. And it was either coming back here and teaching in the history department because I loved history, or I thought maybe I would go to law school. And so I applied for a program called the Funded Legal Education Program, which is a awesome program that the Army provides um, officers that would like to pursue a career in the law. And basically, if you're selected, they will send you to law school um, and and pay for it. But you have a you accrue a service obligation of six years. Uh, after law school. And so my wife and I had a conversation about, do we stay in the army? Do we not? And we just love the, we love the army and it's not in the, and it's hard to explain all the things we love about the army, but it comes down to simply this, the people, I mean, you're not going to find better people than in the U S army. You are truly not going to find people that are driven by things like, uh, which oftentimes are cliches and in some circles, but values, like, I mean, the values of the armed loyalty and duty and respect and selfless service and honor and integrity and personal courage, that actually is what motivates people to serve. And I like being in that culture where people are driven by, by a values-based organization. And so that inspired me to, to say, I think I want to stay in the military for a career. And, and so uh, my wife and I both agreed that I should try to apply for this program and stay in the Army as a lawyer versus uh, either getting out of the Army and becoming a, a lawyer in the private sector, which, which is there's some amazing opportunities there. And I would never dissuade someone from doing that if that's, if that's what you want to do. But for me, it was being in the Army and having the opportunity to practice law in the Army was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. And I think my armor experience was informative because I really liked being around soldiers and I liked being around commanders. And so I pursued uh, a very niche area in the law, which probably has no translation in the civilian sector. Like if you need to start a war or you need to stop a war, you need to know what you can do during war. I'm your lawyer. If yeah. you need to, if you need to have your will done or a contract done in your house, don't come to me. Right? I'm a bad yeah. lawyer. And so just that opportunity to pursue a niche of that type of law, which is international operational law, and advise commanders at the tactical, operational, strategic level was, it's been a dream come true. Yeah. Well, look, I feel like I have so many questions for you and I can sit here and talk to you all day. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I want to make sure that I ask you this one question that I ask everybody that's been on the show. Yeah. And it's about a jumping off point. I call it the jumping yeah. off point. And it is a moment in time where you can no longer continue doing what you're doing, but you may be uncertain of what to do next. 
And for a lot of people, they've talked to me and they, they've said it's um, in my own experience at the time, it was horrible. I felt like this is the worst thing in the world. I can't believe this is happening. It felt like life was over for me. It almost was right. Yeah. You know, it was when I, I, so I got sober seven years ago and at the end, and I was at this crossroads. I was a little bit homeless kind of sort of, but not really. Um, there was a, a suicide attempt that I ended up postponing to watch this law and order season finale. <laughs> it's like a whole thing, right? But at the time, all of this is happening. It was the worst thing in the world. But I look back on that moment and that was some of the most grateful. I'm so grateful for that because had that not happened, it wouldn't have put me on the path that I'm on now to meet the people that I have, yeah. to have the thoughts, the ideas, the new beliefs that I have, the new people in my life, the relationships, the opportunities. So what is that for you? Everyone seems to have something like a moment where they can't keep doing what they're doing. They don't know what to do next. doesn't have to be as dramatic as mine. Yeah. But what's that for you? So uh, it's interesting. I have a, an old boss, wonderful man named uh, uh, Bob Tietel, who was my, uh, was my uh, he was called the staff judge advocate, but my supervisor at Fort Riley, Kansas. And he, uh, he was at the tail end of his military career. He was around the year 27, 28, and he was going to retire at 30. And I remember sitting down just having a conversation with him one day where he said, hey, Shane, I'm going to tell you, the military is to some extent a young person's game. Right. I mean, you're an you're an old, old man if you're in the army at 25 or 30 years. And he's totally right, by the way. (laughs) And he said, so if you get out of the army at five years, 20 years, 30 years, any of those, you're going to have a bit of a an adjustment. It's a bit of a midlife crisis to try to figure out what you're going to do. And so do I think I have a jumping off point? I think the answer is, yeah, I think it's I think it's right after I leave the military. But it doesn't concern me. I've never been worried about those things. Like, I haven't ever been like, what am I doing next? That's not my natural state. My natural state is, let me do a great job now in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is such a cool experience. It's, it's such an opportunity to lead uh, now. But what I do know is that whatever I do next, I will continue to pursue a life of service and, and I want to lead. I just, I like to lead. I like to build teams and I like to serve. Those are the things that motivate me. And there's a lot of different capacities I think I can do that in. Whether that is through uh, volunteer service, I, you know, I'm pretty active in, in my church. I could do things with my church. Uh, I would love to stay in the national security apparatus. And so, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can yeah. do this. And so I just know that the intangible skills I've learned through the military will translate into whatever, whatever I do next. Now, what that is, I don't know. But that, I actually find that a bit exciting. Yeah. That, to me, that's exciting. The idea of like, what's next? Is that coming up soon for you? Oh, no. I mean, I plan on being in this job. For, for a bit. Uh, but after that, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love to do this again and get more into, you know, I know you're married, you have yeah. kids, like the whole, the whole thing. We could talk for hours about the state of Wyoming, if you want to know. Yeah, I'd love it to It is do Nirvana. That. It is, it is the absolute Mecca of culture in the, in the, in the Rocky Mountains. Actually, that's not true. There's nothing there. Yeah. But that's what makes it so awesome. Well, maybe we can get out there yeah. sometime. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this with me. Yeah. Thanks, Philip. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.